This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White. A 4-2 win over Wade Elliott's Robins at home park coupled up with Sheffield Wednesday's midweek postponement keeps us at the top of the league for another week at least. Joining me this week is a pod debut. Welcome Elliot, how are you? All good? Yeah, not bad mate, you? Joe, second podcast of the day. Fill us in with all things EFL debate. I've got a brace, haven't I? Fill you in with all EFL debate stuff. Basically, Argyle are getting promoted and we are just massive everywhere we go, aren't we? Indeed. Sam will hopefully be joining us mid-pod as he's currently at the mercy of Plymouth City Bus and their immaculate timekeeping. Other bus companies are available. They're really not, that is the problem. Uh, (laughs) As is a debut, I'll let you go first, Elliot, before Joe and Sam obviously tick every box on the list. Fill us in with your thoughts post-Cheltenham. It's a bit of a mixed bag for for Cheltenham, really. The, scoring four goals, you think, oh, you know, it's it's fantastic. But do you know what? It's, I thought it was quite a poor performance overall. I think if we were up against a slightly better defence, we'd have been left questioning, you know, our, our ability. Cheltenham, they only really had two chances against us. Uh, one of them was only a half chance and took it. Um, but Defensively, they were so poor. I don't think it's that we were so good to score four goals. Um, but yeah, it, it, a better side, I think we'd get found out there. Joe, anything to add? Not really. Um, I think we shouldn't kid ourselves with the fact that we've scored four at home um, because we have conceded two very sloppy goals um, from our point of view, anyway. Although I think. Alfie May probably deserves a bit more credit for Cheltenham's second one with a finish. Um, <clears throat> yeah, look, I don't think we can crab our attacking play on Saturday. I think we got ourselves into, again, some unbelievable positions. Um, we, we've scored four. Um, I think one is one is very questionable as to how the linesman hasn't given the offside against Sam Cosgrove for the fourth. Um but yeah, look, it's it's another three points, keeps us top. Ipswich didn't have the foggiest idea what was going on in their game. <laughs> Thought I'd squeeze that one in there. Yeah, I mean, us, us and Sheffield Wednesday are relentless, aren't we, at the moment? Um, both sides just churning out 
results after results and it all bodes well for 10 days time a huge game isn't it yeah obviously, I, I was thinking the same to be honest obviously I was back at home part Saturday as well and just it's one of those games again we've had so many of these this season where it's just we're not playing at our best but we're just getting the win we're getting the result the season's over the line which is absolutely brilliant to see Said I said this last week though Aaron didn't I that it goes back to what Rotherham do every other year when they're in League One they just churn out results good sides just find a way and they just keep churning out results and that's what we did and you know, someone is going to be very, very unfortunate in our last 18 games because somebody is going to cop an unfortunate one off us where we're going to rock up one week and we are just going to be fluid. We are going to be high-pressing. We're just going to literally tear somebody limb from limb at some point between now and the end of the season. We'd all love it to be at Hillsborough in two weeks, in 10 days' time. Um, I can't see it happening, but look, Somebody is going to be on the end of a, a hammering. Um, and let's hope it's as enjoyable as what we all think it could be if we play it to our um, highest potential. I suppose the good thing for us as well is that when we've played the bigger sides, we we kind of step up to it, don't we? Even though I said earlier about if we played a better side, you might get found out a little bit. When we do play those better sides, we that's when we do try, you know play fluid football and actually get some success. I mean, you look at Ipswich, probably 60% of the game, we we were the better side, but we, we seem to take our foot off the gas a little bit with, with smaller, or, you know, smaller teams, so to speak. Yeah, it's, it's a bit mad, actually, seeing as we've not really covered the departure of Morgan Whitaker, which is obviously like a huge story, and, and as a pod, maybe we should have done that, and we haven't. But, uh, obviously, Finazaz back, making his first start since October, two assists, so despite not playing that well. How vital is his return, obviously, in the wake of losing Whitaker? Huge. Absolutely massive. To be honest, even though he got two assists in the weekend, I didn't think he was that good. I thought his passing was quite sloppy. I don't know if that's just me being overcritical because we've seen what he can do, but I wouldn't say it was a great game for him. It was just he had two great moments. But yeah, losing losing Whitaker and the last coming back to fitness, it's it's massive. It's like a new signing, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like a replacement in itself. But yeah, I think you're right. I think he just didn't seem to have that pizzazz that we normally see from a zazz. Dreadful. That's that is awful. That is so, so bad. Finazaz on Saturday. Um, I think we have to bring in a caveat to this in the fact that he's obviously not started the game for a while. Um, he's coming back off a serious injury. Um, I think it would be foolish of us to have expected him to come back in off the back of a 10-minute um, cameo at Ipswich and then to put in a wonderful performance here in a game against a side that are tenacious. They don't give up. Um, again, I thought Cheltenham were resilient. I really do feel bad now for before the Boxing Day podcast for calling them a tall, physical, long ball team um, because they're really not. Um, they've got some very good players. They're hardworking. Um, although I do think there will come a time and I think it might be this season where there's only so far that effort and determination can get you. Um, 
and I've just mentioned over on the EFL debate, which is available on Twitter actually via no free advertising on this part. <laughs> Shameless name dropping. Shameless. Sorry. But I have actually just said that Cheltenham might get relegated this year. Um just because I don't think they quite have the quality that you know they, they obviously have got Alfie May, but they've lost and Lundalu, the centre forward who's gone up to Bolton. They've lost a couple of the key players from recent seasons. Obviously we've picked up Callum Wright. And I just wonder whether that they might come up short in that respect. But going back to the point in hand about Finazaz, he's got two assists. He's got an hour or so under his belt. It was almost like the perfect day, I think, for Shuey, really, for him. Yeah, all right, he, he was off it a little bit at times, but this was always about getting him an hour, getting him recovered off the back of it, and making sure he is primed and ready to go in 10 days' time. Yeah, like I said earlier, it's not like he had a bad game. Don't think he had a great game by what we've we've seen from him. He he could do much much more in terms of his actual performance. Yeah, okay, the output of two assists is fantastic, but his overall performance he can do better. But that's me holding him to the standard that we've seen from him this season already. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think I have to disagree with you there, Joe, on the fact that Cheltenham are going to go down. I, I get this isn't a, a big debate about Cheltenham, but I think actually the football that they showed at times wasn't... I had to like scroll down to find them in the table because I was like, they can't be that low. Um, I was just a bit shocked to find them down in 18th. Um, and I think they've given us a few good games this season, obviously up, up at their place on Boxing Day and, and, and yes, uh, Saturday gone. Um, yeah. I think the six teams below them are worse as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, four goals from four different scorers in Scar, Hardy, Callum Wright and Cosgrove. Favourite of the bunch? Any of those? It's, it, it's, do you know what? I really like the third goal because it came at the right time. Like the, the crowd was starting to turn, which I'll come on to in a minute because it really annoys me. But the, the crowd just starting to go, and then the third one came at the right time. All right, we conceded not too long after, but the third one, it just got it going again. Got the you know the movement, the, the free flowing football back that we that we had for the first two goals, and yeah, I think that for me is probably the big one. Obviously, scars. When you see a centre-half volley like that, you're going to love it. But third one's the most important one for me. Hardy's, no debate. It will shut people up on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I'm going I'm going full Schumacher after Cosgrove scored a brace at Derby now. It will shut the doubters up. Um, I think this is a bloke who has just risen up into, up above somebody quite famous in Argos goal-scoring charts. With that goal at the weekend, I did see it. Chris Chris Arrington tweeted it out. He's got more goals now for Argo than David Frio. Um, and yet he's useless because he missed a couple of sitters in recent weeks. Like, get over yourselves in it. The blokes now are our top goal scorer in the league of players that are presently still at the club. Um, he has scored some priceless goals for Argo in his time. He will score more priceless goals um, between now and the end of the season. Just you can't judge him off the back of one miss at Ipswich and a couple of misses against Wickham and Morecambe. Just get over yourselves. Get a life. Stop moaning I about think him. It's more than that. 
I, I, I get your point. We can't moan about him too much because he's done great for us. But I think there have been very big misses at very big points. Um, There's been very big goals in, in his teams. time at Argo, though. Agreed, yeah. I, I wouldn't go over the top with a criticism towards him because it would be ridiculous. But I do think some of the flack that he gets is justified because, come on, against Ipswich, you've got to be scoring that. But ten, one of the two biggest rivals we're going to have this season to go 1-0 up at a very important point in the game, and that happens. All right, he then scores a, a good goal against Cheltenham, but who would you rather see him score against? Cheltenham in a game where we end up scoring four goals or Ipswich where we end up drawing one each, but would have taken the lead if he scored. I accept what you're saying, um, but I think I accept that the Ipswich misses a howler and he will probably be still waking up with cold sweats in the middle of the night about it. But I think he's got enough credit in the bank to get over this. And as I say, people are slagging him off for the chance he's missing. Top goal scorer. (laughs) Right. He got nearly 20 or over 20-odd goals last year, whatever his final tally was. He knows what he's doing. It's good to actually finally if you get into disagreement on the podcast. I know that John said last week we all tend to agree a bit too much. So it's good to have some debate. Um, hello everybody. I'm here by the way. I'm, my bus is late. Hello listeners. Um, it's Sam. Um, anyway, so um, what I was going to say, my favourite goal was the fourth, just because of the the incredible, incredible Matete run that led to it. Um, Callum Wright's one was, was great. It was a very composed finish. As Joe said, Harley's one was a good moment to come back from Mission Ipswich, but the fourth goal is my favourite. And actually, the second had. Some great Matete work as well. It was him who won, won the ball back from pressing in midfield. And obviously for the fourth, very clearly Matete with the assist. And um, was he running about 60, 70 yards um, through the midfield, leaving Ryan Broom trailing in his wake? So, yeah, can't, can't argue with what a great goal that was. I can understand the point um, that Joe made that Hardy's goal maybe meant the most in the wider context of the season and the game. But And I can understand... Um, the point Elliot made that Wright's goal really turned it round when the crowd were getting a bit nervous. But um, purely for an aesthetically brilliant goal, it would have to be that fourth goal. You're, you're all wrong. You all think it's absolutely second goal? wrong. The first goal. And no, a centre half volleying a ball like that. You're mad. It's Dan Scars every day of the week. What a thing. So we've genuinely gone four different people, four different goals for our favourite goals. We haven't, we yes, haven't, we great. haven't pre-planned this either. By the way, we're we're not. No, we have. We really haven't. Now that Matete's been brought up, I need to fire up on something. Right? He mentioned about an Argyle best eleven. Okay. Now, would you guys put Matete in an Argyle best eleven for our team? Bearing in mind that we've seen him play how many minutes so far, so can you put him in straight away? Yes or no? What this season? This season, this season, yes. Oh, this season, yes. Already, I think. I think you you can already. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm somebody who is on record as really liking Adam Randall and thinking he's got a a big future. But I think Matete's just got that little bit more of everything. He he he's literally got in my mind every single thing you could ever ask from a centre midfielder. He's technically fantastic. Um, decision making fantastic and physically incredibly quick and strong. He's doing what, Aaron? What are you no, it's about? just it's just backfired on Elliot. I, I had this question lined up. Maybe later, so. oh, I, okay. I, but this is on the back of we've seen him have a great game on Saturday. You said it before Saturday. Yeah, I did. You're right. I think he's in our strongest team. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's reasonable to have said that 
certainly before Saturday, but, but all the more so after Saturday. I think as good as Randall is, and as much as Housen's had a good season, Butcher's been had, had some good games. I think whatever positive stuff you can say about the other three, Matete has just already shown he's got so much class in every area. So I think we can we can stay in our strongest team, yeah. All right. Oh, shut me up that one, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was meant to answer there. You're supposed to say no. You don't agree with Aaron. I do agree with Aaron. I'm, I'm very sorry. I try not to. I, I try to minimise. Obviously, we're already talking about Matete. Full home debuts for Matete, Callum and Tyreek Wright. Obviously, we're yet to see that much of Saxon early anyway. But I was going to say who impressed you most, but it's it's obvious, isn't it? A, 70, a 60, 70 yard run. Yeah, on a, on a special shout out for Callum Wright, who also had a fantastic game. I thought really good game. I just want to mention because I mentioned it on the other podcast, which, as I mentioned earlier, is available at no free advertising on this pod. That the burst of speed that Tyreek Wright showed to get past Ryan Broom early in the game, I don't think I've ever seen any Argyle player do that to an opposition player at home park before. He left him like he was standing still, and Ryan Broom isn't slow. We know that from last year, albeit he wasn't the quickest in the side. But if we can see more of that pace, it's going to be quite the Philip in our armoury. Do you know what I really like about Tyreek Wright is that he was hugging the byline the whole time. He was trying to make a pitch as wide as he possibly could. Proper wing-back play. On, I honestly cannot remember the last time I've seen a goal player do that. This is where like Danny Mayer annoys me a bit. Fantastic ability but he makes the pitch so narrow, so it almost makes it easier to defend what he's trying to do. Tyree Wright just stretched them so far and just created those gaps. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, Elliot, you said it earlier about um, Callum Wright's goal, like settling the settling the crowd and settling the style and, and bringing back the, the, the free-flowing football. After our game at Portman Road, there seemed to be a few Ipswich fans calling us a Route 1 side, which at the time I couldn't see it. But do you think there was a lot of that on Saturday? There was a lot of just going long. A lot of balls just aimlessly pumped forward. Or is that just me? Um, I think that's what happens when Gillespie gets the ball. If it if anyone else has it's, it. It's the same, it's the same with Walter and Scarlet. Like... They're just going long every time. And I get that Tyreek Rice pace in behind. Yeah, sure, fine. But like, it just seemed to be our only out ball. Or is that just me? Um, but there's obviously, there will be some truth to what you're saying. I don't think it's quite as extreme as, as what you're saying there. Um, if, you, you know, if, if you're doing something and it's working like it was, why would you change it? You know, you... If your tactics that you've got, they're doing the job that you need to, you're getting in behind, you're creating the chances, do it. And then, it, you know, when it stops working, that's when you then change it again to keep, to, to keep them guessing. And to be honest, I think that when we got it right on the weekend, that's exactly what we did. I think we've we've got to look at the way we play as well. As we A lot of our centre-forwards, bar probably Ennis and Cosgrove, certainly what I've seen in the little glimpses of Ben Wayne and most definitely Hardy, even the likes of Callum Wright, Tyreek Wright, etc. We do tend to try and get the ball deep into the channels if we can and get runners onto the end of it. So I don't think we're ever not going to play a game where we're not hitting long balls forward. <clears throat> Ryan Hardy's at his best when he's just chasing a ball over the top and into the channels. Um, I don't think it was... I've I've seen more games this year where we've played 
more long ball football than that. Um, but if we're going to win four two playing long ball football, I don't care. I don't if care. We get Ipswich, out of the league. Ips, that's all that matters. Ips, Ipswich can call us what they like. Lone FC, long ball side. I don't care. They can worry about the fact that their side have only won one of the last six, and we'll keep churning out the points on sixty one after twenty eight games. I just thought I'd look it up in case it was just me and I was chatting. We played of of the accurate long balls. Thirty seven of them were hit their target, which is forty four percent of our long balls. That means it doesn't tell me how many we actually played, but that seems like an awful lot. I do agree. We've got a little bit more direct than the last few games, and I think that's possibly just a, a, a quality of having more pace up front. Just allow you know trying to catch sides in behind. I think when you look back at the um and, and don't you want this isn't anywhere negative because I absolutely love Schumacher, who's probably my favourite Argyle manager that's ever managed Argyle in my lifetime. But when you look at possibly the style compared to the, the low style, it is a little bit more direct. I think I think you, you, and that's not a bad thing because it's tactical flexibility. But um, there are a few more long balls in behind. There are a few more balls strikers to chase onto. With Lowe, it was it was I think a little bit more passing football orientated. Certainly in his in his final half season before he went. But I'd argue that a, a sub consequence of that is Schumacher's made us some more sort of resilient side, a bit a bit of a nastier side, a bit more of a streetwise side. And I think if that comes hand in hand with being a bit more direct at times, then and if it comes hand in hand with being top of the league on sixty one points, I'm certainly not gonna you know uh, worry that it's too direct. Sorry, Sam. Can you just repeat what you said about Schumacher? There were some huge eyebrows raised there. I think he's, he, you know, personally, he's the favourite manager to have managed Argyle in my life. And that's not to say he's the best, but he, he's the one who I have my most, the most personal affection for, without a doubt. Just because I think the, the kind of humility of him, the um, sort of determination of him, the sort of quiet resilience of him, um, it just really, really resonates fantastically. He's given me some fantastic memories watching Argyle you know, the Chelsea game and, and some of the absolutely brilliant games this season. I just really like anything about him and how he operates. Um, so it's personal preference. I'm not saying he's done as good a job as Paul Sturrock did. Obviously, he won two titles. But um, if, if you ask me who's, who's my, my personal favourite Argyle manager since I've been supporting the club, it would be him. Yeah, fair enough. All right. I was going to so say... You've got, got, to, you've got to answer to your favourites now. Yeah, that's true. You can't call him out and then not tell the people your favourite. You know, yeah, come on, Aaron. I know what Aaron's like. It'll be John, it'll be John Sheridan or someone stupid like that. I know. What, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> exactly, John. It's exactly John because mainly because I like to boil the kettle a little bit, to put it politely. All aboard the Sheridan cruise. Nah, it's all about Ryan Love. <laughs> well, if you if you if you're raising eyebrows at me, I think more Argyle fans would agree with my answer than neither of those two certainly, wouldn't they? So, <laughs> even even Sharon one kept us in the football league and one won a promotion. Oh, I'm not saying Sheridan didn't do a good job, but I think he he was very much the, the kind of firefighter we needed at the time, but it was also very much time to move on. I think Schumacher is someone who can really elevate us to the next level. I, I have every faith that he could go on to become a really elite level manager. I mean, possibly not the best example, given how poorly he's doing at Chelsea. But look at Graham Potter. He started at a much lower level than Schumacher started at, and he rose to become the manager of Chelsea. Admittedly, he's not doing too well at Chelsea, but that, you know, that's another matter. I see no reason why Schumacher, I think he's got the tactical now, the tactical acumen to potentially climb to that level. Certainly, he managed to manage in the Premier League one day. Hopefully with us, but maybe not. Go on, Joe, fill us in. 
I'm not sure Sam expected that sort of reaction to what he said, to be honest with you. I think that's caught him on the on the hop. Uh, Favourite Argonne manager? Um, I like Shuey. I really do like Shuey. Very happy that he's going to be our manager for the next few years. <clears throat> but in my lifetime, only one manager has got two promotions against his name. Two titles against his name. Well, I mean, you could argue one is against Bobby Williamson's name, but yeah. Wow. Oh. Let's not get into the technicalities of it all. You know, all right, I'm going to have to backtrack on that. I accept I was wrong. One's got one title against his name and a, and a default title against his name. Well, Schumacher's got one promotion against his name as an assistant manager, hasn't he? And then hopefully one as a manager as oh, well. Oh, well, Kevin Summerfield's got a promotion against his name then. <laughs> you know, if we're going <laughs> well, down that fair road. enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Sam talks about the great days that Schumacher's given us, and he has. I mean, we all know them. But Sturrock took us to levels that the club could only dream about years before. So, um, yeah, and I, it, I like Shuey, but it will always be Sturrock. I would like to point out, I was only joking about Ryan Lowe. It is not him. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, look, I, I, the, the Sturrock shout is one I can entirely understand. So we, go we all know Elliot's a Tony Pulis fan. <laughs> I, do you know what? I'd have to go Holloway. Fans might hate me. He did that, give but... us an incredible short... Yeah, I mean, it, it ended very sourly. He gave, he gave us a really great um, short spell, didn't he? I mean, just to kind of clarify my, my Schumacher, I, Joe's right, I wasn't expecting quite that much pushback. Just to clarify that point a bit, I I, I would always reiterate that, that favourite isn't necessarily best. I, I, I always have had weird favourite players that I just had a personal liking to, despite them not being our best. I, I, I know Aaron's the same with Luke Jeffcott. Mine was always in years gone by Luke Summerfield. I felt he got so much stick from the fans and even though he wasn't our, our absolute best player, I um I, I, I always had a liking for him. And obviously, I think, again, with Schumacher, even though the job he's done on, on paper so far is not as good as the job Sturrock did, um, he, he'll just always have that personal bit more warmth and, and resonance with me. So I'd like to clarify again that favourite doesn't necessarily mean best. I feel like we should move on from you all personally outing me as an awful argon. <laughs> as a Luke Jeffcott fan, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with I'm that. I'm a either. fully invested Ben Wayne fan now, thank you. Obviously, another sellout at Home Park after the additional 600 tickets were snapped up within 24 hours. Uh, any ideas on the next steps? Is there a next step for the ground? How do we accommodate the new fans or do we keep it as it is? Yeah, um, it's, it, it can only really be the corners, can't it? I know that I, know that I think technically it's possible that we could... Uh, rebuild the Devonport and add, I think, about, you know, five or six rows to the top of it. But I think when, I think somebody posted it on, on Pasotti a long time ago and the the cost it would take to do it is is so much more than it would, than, than, the, than the club could actually generate from having uh, like maybe a maximum 500 more people in. It, it just wouldn't be cost efficient uh, to do. Um, so I think really it's got, it's got to be the corners. I think that's, certainly you, you would do that as a first four call and maybe if, um, Maybe if you know if we then got to the Premier League and there was still a big demand, you could look at doing the horseshoe somehow. But I think you do the corners first of all, um, fill each of them in. Hopefully that adds another thousand or so. Uh, and if we go up to the Championship, that would be would would be at least better. It, it's it still feels a bit of a shame that we're in a position going up to the Championship. Hopefully, where we'd actually have a lower capacity than we did the last time we went up to the Championship. I know there are very valid reasons for that because we had an open terrace and that is loudly more and. And all that. So I get that it's very valid reasons for that, but it does feel a bit of a shame that we'd be kind of in, in, the, in the position of a newly promoted club like we were nearly 20 years ago, but with a, a lower ground capacity. Spoken for everybody there, clearly. 
I've, I've, I've nothing to add other than the fact don't expect it to change anytime soon. A, a the sellouts and B the way the ground is. As much as at fans forums they keep going on about the corners and what have you, I think in the grand scheme of where the football club is now and the direction we're heading, I think filling in the corners is actually a little bit lower down on the pecking order than what people think. Um, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, what would we all rather have? The corners filled in to get another thousand people into the ground or a training facility that will allow us to produce our own better players, to attract better quality of players down to the club, to generate more income for the football club. The, the training facility, et cetera, offers so much more than just another thousand seats, in my opinion. That's a very fair point, well made. Yeah, I'd agree. One thing I do think that they need to do is they need to find a way to expand the concourse. I think it is far too narrow to even deal with the current sellouts that we have. So if you were to put, try and get more bodies into that ground, it's just a recipe for disaster. Like the amount of time it takes to actually get anything there. Like if if you go down to speak to someone down there you don't sit with, it's like you're stood right in the middle. People are like barging street because there's literally no room. I think that's something that does need to be addressed pretty urgently, to be honest. Whilst we're on the topic of like sellouts and filling in corners, it would be a miss of us not to mention another nervy atmosphere. Obviously, it's my first game at home park for a while. It just felt a bit dead most of the game. It wasn't until really the fourth goal went in. Any reasons why the atmosphere's bad, or is that purely down to a sellout? Is it something to do with the fact that? We're not used to being in this position for so long that people have forgotten how to react going to home games. I know that might sound stupid, but for so long now we've been fighting relegations and mid-table obscurity and then the odd playoff push. If you look down through like the last 10, 12 seasons, that it's been a long time since we were involved in a title fight. And I just wonder whether people... It, it does sound a lot... It's more stupid than what I'm saying in my head. Um, but I just wonder whether people have just forgotten what it's like to go to the ground when you're sitting first in the table. Like, you're not supposed to go and feel nervous. You're supposed to go with excitement and you feel like you're going to win. You don't go there and get all worried when you're 2-0 up and then someone scores just before half time. That shouldn't worry you at all because we've got the quality to come out and get a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever. I just wonder whether that's playing on people's minds a little bit when they go to home park. I completely agree that that that, that, that Joe is hitting there on the head. It, it is quite simply the, the one word, uh, nervousness. I think we are closer to the championship now than we ever have been since we got out of it. Getting back to the championship has always kind of been the, the holy grail, really, for our goal. Obviously, we'd love to be in the Premier League, but it's literally never happened in our history. So in terms of something that's that's kind of tangible in the short term, Getting back into the championship is it's kind of the dream. It's what everybody, it's kind of the big unspoken thing that everybody really has been desperate for for a long time. Um, and I think we're just so close to it now. I think last season there wasn't the nervousness because I think for what a few reasons. One, because we dropped out of the top two contention around about December time and it then became a playoff race. And I think also last season we were just kind of all caught up in the sort of joyful atmosphere of being back after COVID for the first time. But now this season, it's it suddenly feels a lot more real that this is it. We are in a top two battle. We've got we've got eighteen cup finals remaining, and obviously, if we, I think people have kind of it's kind of like um, if you you know if ever you go climbing up a little bit higher up, everyone always said you know don't look down. And I think it's all, almost that kind of thing. We're so high up now. 
fans are sort of are looking down and they're seeing how heartbreaking it would be if we were to fall out of the top two. And now I know John said on the podcast his resolution was to enjoy the ride, and <laughs> I don't think many Argyle fans really are enjoying the ride at this at this moment. I think we are going into it, or certainly some of us are going into it more with the mindset of how nervous we are about things going wrong than we are excited about things going right. And I think that atmosphere is leaking through a little. I think the people that are kind of not taken in the moment of being where we are, the results that we're getting, they're the people that don't go like all all, all the time. So like the, the fans that kind of turn and they get impatient, that's because they're only going because Argyle are at the top of the league and they think, oh, you know, they're fantastic. They're doing really well. We'll go and watch them for the weekend because they're playing good football. They'll win. And then when things aren't quite going to plan, they're going, oh, same old Argo. But it's not the same old Argo. It's just they've not watched a game for about four years live. So when they're not doing what the table says that they're doing for that first 10 minutes, they're like, oh, this is awful. You know, they're, they're dreadful. Whereas the people that go week in, week out, you know, as many games as they possibly can and have them for a while they're not the ones that get on the players back straight away because it's like it's a 90 minute game you don't have to be 10 nil off in 20 minutes and i think that's where this problem comes because you if you didn't have a sellout the crowd would would not turn anywhere near as quickly because you wouldn't have as many fans there that were negative right from the off you say that though but we were two nil up within what 28 minutes like i i appreciate obviously we conceded just before half time but it's just like 2-0 2-0 up against Cheltenham, that should that should be enough for most people to like see it through. Like it, it's just that and also there's there seems to be a, an epidemic of people just clapping too far. Like people just want chance over with. Like I don't I don't know if that's just an Argyle thing, but it's just every chant that gets going is over within seconds. Anything longer than a sentence long won't catch on. Like is that really is that really down to nerves? Yeah, I know. I think that's well. I think that's always been an Argyle thing. Whether we're doing good, bad, or indifferent, we've never been the most creative uh, fan base to chance. Most of the chants that we have are either one line, or if they're more than one line, they're normally an adaptation of a chant that another club has made. Really, aren't they? So it's um we're not really the most original uh, fan base for for Terrasuma. I, I hate to say. But I think that's probably always been the case. And I think that maybe ties in with the other issues that um, we've all raised here. So on that, how stupid do you have to be to risk a ban that could see us missing out on watching us lift the title, celebrate promotion and play and play championship football next season just to fall on your ass? Idiots. Very. That's all I can say. Very is the answer. Very stupid indeed. That's absolutely baffling. Why are we even giving him airtime? Just to make it evidently clear that that's that's absolute nonsense. I don't even understand what point you've made there. Never question someone's ability to be stupid. Anyway, I think it's becoming concerning. That the other kind of sub I've got a sub point about it is a bit of a concerning trend now that pitch invasions are are going into it. We saw a lot at the tail end of the last season. It used to be end of the season if a team got promoted or whatever, they would they would you know it's, it's technically it's against the law, but people would run on the pitch. Nobody would really enforce it. They would have a bit of a laugh and they'd run back off. And that was relatively, strictly not allowed, but went pretty much unenforced. What we're seeing a worrying trend of in a lot of times now is people who run on the pitch and think it's funny to 
you know, go for an opposition player or go for an opposition member of staff. And I think it really is just so self-defeating what it's going to result in. And I think this is worth talking about because it's a wider point. If it's going to result in the further wider criminalisation of football fans and harsher laws being brought in and harsher enforcement being brought in, all because a few absolute idiots don't control themselves. And I think you know, it's, it's really a concerning trend. I, I, I will admit it, in the Newport game we went up, I ran on the pitch in, in a pitch invasion, as did so many other hundred fans. I certainly wouldn't dream of running on the pitch if we got up this season because I don't trust what could happen. I don't trust what sort of brawl could kick off. And I think it's, it's a worrying trend. And I've, yeah, that's all I have to say on it, really. And Sam will be coming to us from HMP Broadhurst next week. <laughs> I was going to say, if anybody wants to clip that and send it to at Simon Hallett. I think Mr. Hallett was not the owner of the club back then, and I'm sure there is a statute of limitations on um, on prosecution for running on the pitch. I'm, I'm fairly sure of that. To be fair, Argyle fans <laughs> did invade the pitch when Newcastle won the league against us in the championship. Not helped by RPA and outs of playing. We are the champions and blade and races in honour of Newcastle, yeah. Obviously, up next, we have Sheffield Wednesday, the big game. I'm beaten in eight, seven points clear of third, 13 wins out of 14 home games. I'm beaten away since August, which is one loss in our last 24 games. How gutting is it going to be when Wednesday lift that title? Whoa, hang on a minute. What on earth has gone on here? What's this all about? Don't, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Just for everyone at home who's listening to this, Aaron has now muted himself. I want you to take yourself off mute and explain your position before I pass comment on this. I just think it's going to be heartbreaking, isn't it? I, I fully expect us to go to Hillsborough, pumped, excited, buzzed, sell out, sell out away end and just get turned over. It's going to happen, isn't it? I, look, this group. This group's beaten Wickham twice in a season. They can achieve anything. I said this after Christmas. Look, the Argyle of old would have gone to Hillsborough and got turned over four-two in a game at Hillsborough or something. I can't honestly. I honestly can't see us getting a hammering or any or a hiding or anything at Hillsborough. Don't get me wrong. I could see Sheffield Wednesday nicking it, but I think this is going to be a lot closer than perhaps even the most pessimistic Argyle fan could think. And I actually have the belief that we're going to go there and get a result. And I'm more than happy. I'm more than happy for this to be clipped and played on an endless loop by any Sheffield Wednesday podcast or any Sheffield Wednesday fan on Twitter for the rest of the season. By honestly, I'm going to make myself look a fool now. I can't see us going to Sheffield Wednesday and losing that game. I think Joe's got a point. This team this season, unlike last season, is good against the big teams. We, we've got vital away, you know, hard-fought, gritty away points at Bolton and Ipswich. Big home wins against Bolton, Peterborough, Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday. I, I, I don't see the reason why we won't go there and make it an incredibly t- a tight game. I think what Joe said is correct. I think if we do lose, it will be it will be by the odd goal. It will be a tight game. But there's every chance we can get a result. Um, I don't have doubts about this team's ability psychologically to step up to big games because we've done it so many times. Where I have a little little bit of doubt before anyone calls me being negative is maybe switching off and getting a bit too complacent when they've got a lead, like like possibly in the first half on Saturday and like possibly at MK where we won the laugh and then let a cheap goal in. So I have a little bit of doubt in those situations at times. I certainly don't have any doubt about the mental resilience needed to step up for the big games. And I think obviously this being a big game, 
I think it'll be a tight game, and I think it'll be a goal either way at most. Or, or you know, so a goal, let's say a goal either way or a draw. I don't think either team will run away with it or win convincingly. I can't believe I'm a regular on this podcast now with a host who is so negative and yet wants me to be so positive. It's just ridiculous. It's just this game. It's just this game, to be honest. I just think it would be so argyle to ruin our season by turning up and just being shit. And I think it would be just this Argyle squad to go to Hillsborough in front of 25,000 people and turn them over. I hope you're right. Do you know the last, you know the last right. team to beat them? Who were the last team to beat them? Obviously us. Who's the far goal? Exactly. Yeah. Why can't we do it again? Yeah, in, in, in isolation, we should have been 3-4-0 up by the time Port Vale got a sniff. I think... Uh... Aaron's dwelling on last season when we played them there because we had the heartbreak of actually being there and it was one of the most depressing games of football I've had the misfortune to watch. Just everything they did worked and we just didn't seem to have an answer. Yeah, it was a dreadful game. I think 4-2 actually flattered Argyle that day. Um, It was an absolute hammering. I think we scored with, I think, uh, maybe our only two chances of the game or two of our only three chances of the game. We didn't have a chance at all. But we scored well, two Randall's was the free kick anyway, wasn't it? Well, so. Randall's, yeah, Randall's was the free kick, exactly. So we, we scored with, with one of only two actual chances we had, apart from that, and that was a bit of a goal line scramble, whereas Wednesday had countless chance after chance, and they only scored four of them on another day. They could have scored five or six, I think, quite easily. Um, so that was a really poor performance, and I think the difference is how we've stepped up for games like that this season. Sunderland away last season was another example. We only went in 2-0 down at half-time. We were lucky not to go in 4-0 down. Uh, admittedly, we then did go out better in the second half. We lost 2-1. But again, very much like the Wednesday game, that Sunderland game flattered us to score. And we probably should have lost by more than that. So we've gone from going to games like that and being battered quite quite consistently to going to the games like that and making it an incredibly even game. And you know what? We will lose one of them eventually, whether it's Wednesday, Barnsley, Peterborough, whatever. Law of probability is we we kind of surely have to lose it away from home eventually since August. But, um, you know, if we do lose, I think it'll be tight and hopefully we won't at all. It's, it's great to be on this pod tonight with Sam, Elliot and Chris Waddle. I think you'll find that I only waddle when I walk. <laughs> 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 I mean to, to be clear going back to Aaron's first question I, I've i been the main holdout on this podcast so far in saying I think we're more likely not to go up I've always maintained you have a chance of going up but I've always just said I think Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday will probably just nick it I think after Saturday I, I, I crossed over because ultimately we're, we're, just, we're, just, we're just finding ways to win it wasn't the most amazing performance, but it was a good performance. And we're just finding many, many different ways to get points. We're so tough to beat. Uh, we've won 13 out of 14 games at home. I think we'll get over the line. If you held a gun to my head right now and asked me which team will win the league, I would probably still say Sheffield Wednesday. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, another, another Chris model here. But 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 if you ask me who will come second, I would say to the Vargas, which I, I was holding out on before. Yeah, to be fair, I agree. I think Wednesday will be the ones that end up winning the league and will be a comfortable second. What we're saying is whoever wins on Saturday, sorry, next Saturday, wins the league. Yeah. Yeah, go so. on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair yeah. thing to say. No. So you all, you both think we're going to win on Saturday, but don't think we'll win the I league? Think, I, think, I, think, I think we'll draw on Saturday. I think we'll draw on Saturday and Wednesday will win the league. 
I think we're going to win on Saturday and we're going to win the league. All I care about is we get out of the league. I don't care how we do it. First, second. If I've got to deal with another day at Wembley, then so be it. I just want out of this league now. I don't care how we do it. It'll be another two days, Elliot. Another two days at Wembley. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got to go see and lift the, the pizza cup. <laughs> I'm going to have a breakdown got... by the time this pizza cup final comes around. I've got your ticket reserved next to me, Joe. Don't worry. So, obviously, we go, we go full strength on Saturday. Matete, Randall in the middle. Gillespie, Scar, Wilson, obviously Cooper. Mumba, Edwards. Yeah, Mumba and Edwards. And front three, I'd probably go... I think you want Danny Mayer for a game like this. I don't, but actually, no, you know what? I'd probably go 3-5-2. And I think 3-5-2 did work well at Ipswich. And I think we, our worst period of the game was after we changed away from that formation. So, I would go 3-5-2. I would go... I'd probably go Matete, Randall and Mare in the midfield three. And I'd go Ennis and Hardy as the front two uh, with Adaz as a great option to come off the bench if needed, like he did at, when, like he did at um, Ipswich. Um, I don't make squad predictions anymore because I'm getting fed up with Schumacher just tearing them all up when he announces the team. Um, there'll be a couple of changes, but I'm not going to predict them. Um I'll, I'll stick my neck out on the line and say Conor Grant and Mikel Miller won't be involved. I personally wouldn't start Edwards because last time we were up there, all right, they had Mendes Lang at the time, but absolutely tore Edwards apart for the whole game. They just had his number. And I, whilst I love Edwards, fantastic. I just think for a team like that, I don't think he's the right option to start with. I think get a bit more pace on to start with, then get him on to steady it. Going to, back to what you said, Joe, in terms of Schumacher ripping it up, I only joined that fan hub like two weeks ago. I don't know if you're familiar where you predict lineups. And I have like a 48% percentage rate when if I started from the beginning of the season, I would most probably be near 100. It's an absolute madness how like the last three weeks we've just... Like been staring at team sheets, just wondering what the heck. Like I, I was trying to work out what formation we were playing. Yeah, it it goes back to that night against Wickham, where I think we all had a fairly good idea of the sort of side we were going to put out, and the team sheet came out six forty five, and I didn't really know until quarter past eight what system we were playing. Even now, it's sort of up in the air what we were actually doing, um, but it gets results, and we all have an idea of what we would do if we were in his position. Um, it's probably a good job he's in that position than I am. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm fed up with it now. Just he'll pick a side at two o'clock on that day and we'll go with it. Um, I don't want to waste any more of my time thinking about what team it is because nine times out of 10, I'll put a team out somewhere in a group chat or on Twitter. And then at two o'clock, I'm sat there thinking, well, I've got two of the 11, Dan Scar and Michael Cooper most weeks. That's probably all I ever get right. So. Yeah, nice. I think that's brought it to a nice conclusion. Obviously, big win at Hillsborough incoming. Big title lift slash second slash promotion slash another... Tickets still available on the booze cruise. Before we go, Sam, uh, what do you think? Transfer business all wrapped up? I think so. Um, There might be one more, but I think if it's one more, it will be because it's somebody Schumacher really wants for the long term rather rather than somebody who will necessarily be needed to boost the squad. Because quite frankly, as I mentioned on the last podcast, our squad depth is so good, you're having three or four quality players miss out each week. 
Um, not to mention the ones that are injured. If everyone's fit, it will be seven or eight players missing out each week, plus all the youth players on top of that. So we don't need any more for depth. I just wonder if we might have someone come in because it's a long-term punt from Schumacher, but we'll see about that. Any, any guesses? Any inside knowledge? Um, not, that, not that I'd like to say. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. We'll leave Whereas, it at that. Very quickly, you're on the um, transfer window and transfer business. I think it's quite an important question to ask. What's the future of Ryan Law? They keep talking about this loan spell that they want to get him out on. At this point in time, as Sky Sports News get rid of their or bring up their ticker tape, there's less than well, there's less than six days to go now left of the window. At this moment in time, I can only have a, I can only really see him going to somewhere like a Torquay. I I would agree that's probably where he'll go. Yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not sure there's enough time to get him out to a league club on loan. To be honest, I can't really see him at a league club anyway. To go to a Gillingham side that are bottom of League Two and not look all that impressive. I I actually think he could go to Torquay and make a real difference. I actually think that that's the sort of, and it's not just saying that that's his level because I actually think he's better than that level because in every time I've seen him, I don't think he's ever let me down or disappointed me. But I think if we could get him out to Torquay, that would be a massive help to them in staying in that division, which is, which should not be underestimated to how this football club is operating at the moment. That Torquay, Yeovil, and what have you, they're at that sort of level, if not a bit higher. Because we need them to be clubs that we can send to your likes of your Jenkins Davies in a couple of years' time, your Caleb Roberts, your Asakas, players like that, off to them to get them experience. Look what it's done to Randall. You know, that that's the obvious point. So if we can get law, I mean, I'm happy to make the deal happen if Neil Jusnit wants me to sort it out. But I really do think that that sort of place is where law, maybe a Jenkins Davies, somebody like that should be heading. Yeah, I think it'd be a great move for Will Jenkins Davies. Obviously, like you said, Randall's move there. Yeah, brilliant. Obviously, whilst we're on transfer talk, obviously Adam Parks has had his loan extended at Parkway. So that's good. Brilliant. So, yeah. Real, real, the big news of the day, that. <laughs> Club legend, of course. <laughs> I think we'll call it a day there or a night there because it's quite late. Cheers, guys. Cheers, all. Cheers, guys. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. With that brings a close to another Green and White pod brought to you by Argyle Life. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, like on Facebook and keep up to date with all things Argyle by checking out www.argyle.life. As always with all listens, old and new, we really appreciate if you could leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. Every rating helps us beat that algorithm. See you next week. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.